iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and I thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us. With me in the studio today... We have two guys named James, who, guess what? I will refer to by their last names. It's James Scowcroft, a.k.a. Scoey, and the only living Gearbrandt in captivity, also named James. Later on, we'll be talking about some of the latest managerial appointments. Yes, those fresh new faces, Alan Pardew at West Brom, and, of course, Big Sam Allardyce at Everton. But first, we start with what many have called the game of the season at the Emirates. And what is surely the game of the season before next Sunday and the Manchester Derby? School, I'm going to start with you. Um, when you saw the lineup and you saw like through the first few minutes of the game, were you thinking like, oh, maybe Jose's not going to clam up and be defensive this time. Maybe he's going to go for it. Or do you think, with hindsight, he did the right thing. Where you're like, yes, good. A back three. Yeah, more Lindelof. Uh, I think Jose's starting to... More Lingard. Exactly. I think Jose's starting to work out his best 11 and the formation of that 11. Look, his teams will always be defensively strong and there's nothing wrong with that. But you have to have that penetration, don't you, up, up front. And they've got that. I saw them at Watford in the week. Um, and a game that was actually quite even. But United had a devastating killer touch. Um, and I think you have to give Jesse Lingard a lot of credit for his role now. You know, he's tried Mkhitaryan, he's fallen out, he's tried one matter. But he's got a kid in here now that has energy, has ability on the ball, and gets in the box and score goals. You're pulling faces at me, so you obviously yeah, disagree. I don't. I, I don't uh, we have a piece from Gary Jacob talking about how... Um, Jesse Lingard splits opinion among United fans. Were I United fan, I know on which side of the opinion I would stand vis-a-vis vis Lingard. But I wanted to ask you about the back three, though. Uh, I want to ask both of you, in fact, because, all right, my impression is that Mourinho thinks his two best defenders, two best center backs are Eric Bai and, and then a gap and then Phil Jones and then these three guys, at least until Rojo gets fully, fully fit. And I think, my impression is he would rather play a back four. But because he doesn't have those guys, he's like, all right, I'm better off with an extra body back there. And I don't think that's necessarily a good thing for United because it ultimately means you've got one less skillful player on the pitch. Am I wrong here, Gearman? I think, I think one thing that's, that's really interesting about United's season so far is that they, they've, you know, obviously they're doing, from a points point of view, they're doing extremely well. But they've they've sort of done it without having really sort of any sort of 
settled system. I mean, obviously, as Sky was alluding to in the early weeks of the season, you know, they they played that four two three one, and it was good. And we were all like, you know, Mourinho's cracked it. There was a really nice balance in midfield. Mkhitaryan was playing well and also Mata for the first few weeks of the season. Then, obviously, Mkhitaryan and Mata lost form. Pogba was injured. And, and as you mentioned, obviously, there were the injuries in defence. So now they're playing this sort of 3-4-1-2. I mean... I don't like it, Gearbrand. Help me. This is... this is the, He's not going to do this when people are fit, right? I don't want to see these guys playing. I think what he does a lot, and he certainly did it at Watford, he matched them man for man. And I think he has a, a belief that, well, if my players are better for them, better than them, and I match them up man for man, we should on paper get some success. And you could argue that that did actually work in midweek. But actually, matching up man for man is generally what bad teams do against good teams. I mean, you're not really matching up man for man because it's not like it's not like Chris Smalling was going and hanging out with Sebastian Prodel at Watford, other than on set pieces. So, I don't. I mean, I understand why he's doing it now because I don't think he trusts these three guys to play. He's not going to pick two of these guys. I mean, Lindelof presumably still developing. Smalling has his issues. Lindelof has been excellent. The last two games, he's been fantastic. Okay, but would would you play a back three here? No, I I don't like a back three. Is a back three going forward? Is this what we're going to see from United? Is this what we might see at City? No, but I think it's more... I think they will definitely play a back three on, uh, on Sunday, but I think it's more fluid. I think there's more rotation. I think you can... In that central area, if you, especially if your if your back three narrow up and you get your your wing backs as well, you can ultimately come a back five. So it gives very little space. You can get the three in front. You can get two centre forwards in your team, which is key. I just find this to be unmarino like. I don't, from memory, I don't think he's played a back three, certainly not on a regular basis before before this season at any point in his career. Could be wrong. Stand to be corrected, um, but. It seems like to me like something that's unnatural for him, and he's doing it now because he feels it's necessary. Look, he's keeping pace with City, so he's obviously been uh, been vindicated there. Going on to the game, if you're an expected goals person, um, United were absolutely mullered by Arsenal, and only some tremendous David De Gea saves. We have a graphic here, even if you don't understand it or don't like expected goals, maybe you understand shots on goal. 33 shots by Arsenal. 13 saves. Um, Scoey, sorry, your phone. Thank you. Uh, 13 saves by, by David De Gea. Okay, can I, I just correct you there? When, when you said they were battered by Arsenal, what exactly do, is that? Are you going on shots on goal that they've had? So that, that no, account? I just said I'm going on expected goals and I'm going on opportunities. Yeah, but if you're 2 0 up, you're not going to keep going gun ho. So you've done the hard work. So, right, we'll okay. sit back. You can have some shots now. You can shoot from here and there. But Right. But expected goals, as you know, takes into account the quality of the chance. So obviously, I agree with you. You're 2 0 up, you sit back, you play on the counter. But the problem is when you do that well, you concede crummy shots from outside the box, which. Arsenal had, but Arsenal also had very good high-quality chances inside the box, and you still create chances on the counterattack when you're if, if you're counterattacking. So it's not just the volume of shots; it's the quality of the chances. Um, is is that is that what happened in the game? And that, but for David de Gea making at least two saves that I don't think a goalkeeper should be entitled to make, and Arsenal's poor finishing, this game would have taken a different turn. I mean, yeah. I mean, that that is that your view. Well, that that is what happened. I mean, you know, 
uh, Arsenal well, did no, have a lot of... He's making a face, so he probably disagrees with you. Well, look, I mean, Arsenal did have a lot of clear opportunities. De Gea did make a lot of... And is that a concern? Because you're talking about the back three, and like, if, why couldn't United defend better and not concede good chances to Arsenal and only concede those stupid chances where Ramsey shoots from 50 yards out? I mean, I don't, I, I don't know if it's so much a concern for United because obviously, as we've, you know, as we've been through... A, Mourinho is missing his two first-choice centre-backs and, and B, obviously, as Sky pointed out, the way the game kind of developed, um, obviously, they, they went 2-0 up very early on. I mean, I think from from Arsenal's point of view, it's a kind of a, I find it kind of a hard one to analyse as well because, obviously, I think they did play, you know, they play very well, they did create a lot of opportunities and, it, you know, it's kind of, it's right to acknowledge that, you know, the attacking performance was good and they... You know, as as you say, expected goals. They, you know, they were superior. But also, I, I kind of feel with Arsenal. You know, we're sort of beyond the point of kind of handing out merit marks for you know kind of valiant performances in defeat. I mean, they've also lost to City and, and Liverpool this season. Obviously, Tottenham being the the exception. Um, I mean, I think it's. Yeah, I think there's. I think ran into a goalkeeper who performed miracles. I think miracles. there's quite. I think there's a there's a significant difference between a game where you deserve to win and create the opportunities, and you concede too late goals against the run of play, to a game where you concede too early goals and then subsequently go. So you're saying have, Arsenal did not deserve any points from this game. <laughs> the issue. No, the issue of the, the question of deserving points is always such a kind of. Well, no. It's because, always a trick. No, because well, look, based I mean, on performance, did they play well enough? To get points from well, this game, it's as well as that. That, that, that's on, what I'm asking. Based on the, you know, the creation of chances, yeah, Arsenal were the better team. But I think the issue of deserving to win a game allowed Arsenal also, to have these chances by being two goals up, by being three one up. They allowed them to sorry. have that. If it had been two two, these chances wouldn't have cut because it had been a different game. Well, it's right. So, I, so I, they've I, allowed Arsenal to dominate I take, possession. And I, I, I take, I, I take your point. Okay, but if you, if I'm going to allow you to dominate possession. And it's sterile possession, and all you're doing is passing the ball sideways and and shooting from 50 yards out. I agree with you. That's great defending, right? Have all the possession you like. Have all the shots you like. They're bad shots. I don't care. But in this game, United were giving up very good chances to Arsenal. They were going up very high quality chance, which surely but, that's but not that wasn't that part they, of Mourinho's game plan. But but knowing that a goalkeeper that that could pull off come so, on. no, it, it, she can't. Come on, you can't oh, get oh, two look. goals down. And oh, it's say, okay. Right, we got the hair. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. You you waltz in there, Alexis. Go ahead. Come on. You're not you're not buying what. Please help back me up on this. Well, look, I think the, the issue of he won't do what, it. What, Are you issue, scared of him just because he's bigger than you? The the question of whether or not a team deserves to win which is always a kind of it's a bit of a hiding to nothing anyway but I think yes Arsenal were good in the you know the creating of chances but also I think which, also, which is in, by implication United were not good yeah. in stopping them from creating chances that's that's the whole part of defending I mean yes. right yeah okay but also I think being clinical is another kind of facet to whether or not you deserve to win a football match. And, and they were not clinical. Not clinical. Most definitely not. And, United, and on top of that, United, on the other hand, were very clinical. Um, one thing that backfired too was um, for Paul Pogba was his red card. I've watched this in real time. I've watched it in slow down from multiple angles. And I'm still kind of 
on the fence on this, and it may be my bias with the fact that I like Paul Pogba or the fact that Scoey's looking at me very intensely right now and doesn't want me to say that it was a straight red. I'm just going to take a quick poll between the two of you. I'm going to ask Gearbrandt first because I'm going to go with the guy who's more likely to sit on the fence. Would you have given a red card for that? Yes, absolutely. Scoey? Um, possibly <laughs> I would have done, but I don't think... I think if you actually think about it, I don't think... I think it was harsh. And I think if you look at Pogba and you look how he plays, he stretches for a lot of things. He's got these he's big gangly legs. Yeah, he's got this gangly stride that he does stretch, and he's just stretched to win the ball. Duncan Castles made the point on Twitter that Bellerin's leg was in an unnatural, weird position. That has no impact, right? No. Okay. Just, just wanted to, just, just wanted to, just wanted to, to, to settle that. Your verdict? <laughs> Again. <laughs> I, I don't have a problem with the red. I would have had no problem if he'd not given red either because it did look to me like he was stretching with the ball. When you see it in real, t- real time too, I mean, it looks a lot worse, which in real time is how the referee saw And obviously the referee only gets one look and blah, 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 blah. I guess most of it, I just feel bad that I don't get, as a neutral, I don't get to see Pogba play against Manchester City. Is yeah. that something I was really and, and excited I think, for? I, think, I, I actually think this is a little bit of a problem for the Premier League now that it is so easy to get a red card that ultimately it is spoiling some of the games with the best players that, that aren't playing. You Maybe you should make a rule that you get to nominate... I'm going to get murdered for this on Twitter, so please let me put this out there. I'm not entirely serious. But you can nominate two guys who, while they can get sent off, they can't get suspended on each team. Or you well, get to choose... One. No, no, or you get to choose when they serve their suspension. Because when you think about it, right... You could look at it as, okay, so Pogba gets sent off and what he did was dangerous and it's right that Arsenal should have some redress, right? Which they had the redress on the fact that Pogba was off the pitch for X many minutes. But why should United's next opponent suddenly get a big advantage? Final word on Arsenal, Gary Jacob in our paper is very hard on on Arsene Wenger. Would you be equally hard? I mean, is it his fault when defenders make individual mistakes? If Stuart Robson were here, he'd talk about, oh, it's Arsenal's lack of a defensive structure. But we're talking individual mistakes for the goals, and then that changed the whole game. I agree with that. I think that it's very hard to legislate for the kind of errors that Arsenal made in the opening period of the game. But I also think another point that's really interesting is the whole game changed when Mustafi went off, Iwobi came on, and Arsenal switched to back four. And they played a lot better, obviously. And that's... That's not the first time that's happened no, against not. Cologne as well in the in their first Europa League match. Okay, you were probably the only person who watched that game. But Correct. Yeah. Well, well, no, because twenty thousand Cologne fans well, also yes. watched that <laughs> game in person. Yeah. Um, the only Englishman who watched that game. <laughs> um, exactly the same thing happened, and I think the issue of where, of what Arsenal's best system is is still, to me, is is very much up in the air. And what's interesting as well is, is that obviously Cologne was a Europa League match, so players playing were basically completely different so the fact that Arsenal played better with back from both matches would suggest it's not just that it suits certain players now this season with your subscription to the Times and the Sunday Times you can watch every highlight and every goal from every single game in the Premier League the Champions League the Europa League and as I've discovered the FA Cup the FA Cup third round draw by the way is held later today who's excited for the FA Cup third round draw hands up 
Oh, all our hands go up. Yes, the greatest cup competition in the world. Now you get all this, plus what actually I interests me even more, uh, our outstanding content, some outstanding writing, not just from us. Shout out to my boy Johnny Northcroft at the uh, Sunday Times as well. It's just eight pounds for an eight-week trial. You're looking at me, but I always big up our Times writers. So, you know, time to uh, occasionally big up uh, uh, our cousins uh, across the way. Now, I need to ask you, Scoey, what was your favorite goal of the weekend in the Premier League? And I imagine it's going to be a United goal. It is, and I'm struggling to think what one of the three. Because they were um, all so good. They were. Uh, I'm going to give it to Jesse Lingard, what one. I'm going to give it to his the fantastic, breathtaking counter-attack third goal. The one which Pogba did all the work? No, he didn't really. See, this this is where he didn't do all the work. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's a goal that he started and he finished. And I saw the boy at Watford. He got a fantastic fourth goal at Watford during the week. And it's brilliant midfield player. He wins the ball, drives with it, does the simple things, lays it off, runs into the box, gets his reward. Fantastic performance. And I thought it was an excellent counter-attacking goal. Not quite as good as Ronaldo's goal in the Champions League in 2008, the counter-attack goal that he scored, but very good. But Martial is still United's best player, right? Yeah. Okay. And Just if you've seen his touch for the first goal... Yes, I did. I own a television. Um, Gearbrand. I went for uh, Wilfred Burney versus uh, Stoke. Uh, <laughs> which I have to say, I did slightly do in the expectation that someone would pick the uh, the second United goal with the lovely Martial flick. But anyway. Um, the David Silva goal was pretty good too. But also, that's true. Um, no, but I like this goal. I mean, it's uh, everyone likes a good volley. You're um, a big Wilfred Burney fan anyway. Well, absolutely. And, you know, Wilfred Burney fans, you know, don't get don't often get the chance no. to celebrate Wilfred Burney scoring an actual goal these days. Uh, it was his first one for a year, I think. But, you know, it was, a, it was a really nice volley. One of those that really kind of pinged off the off the laces now this is one of my favorite stats which is gonna which is gonna recur on this podcast but going into the weekend there were four teams that were undefeated in all competitions um in 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 europe's big five leagues paris saint-germain lost at the weekend valencia lost at the weekend inter milan won and at halftime manchester city we're a goal down to West Ham. And could it be that little old Inter Milan could finish the weekend as the only undefeated side in the big five leagues in Europe? And yes, Twitter pedants, I know, they don't play in European competition. So it's just City, yeah, fine. Okay, it doesn't count. I'm not suggesting they're as good as City or even Barcelona or PSG or even Valencia for that matter. But it was still kind of cool. So please let me have this moment. Anyway, didn't happen, but um, I don't think City have been quite as good as they were earlier have teams uncovered some sort of truth of how to play against manchester city based on those first 45 minutes given the situation west ham were in before or is it just a case that maybe city are a little fatigued maybe a bit of a, a bit of a breather um, maybe no fernandine what what is it that the last couple games and the finoi too that was also not not good it's very very hard in the premier league to keep the pace that they've they've set already but i actually think they're is it, what's the term, grinding out results, scoring late goals? I think that is as big a quality as beating teams 3, 4, 5, 6, 0. Do you think it's a quality or do you think it's just luck and randomness? And are, would you be concerned based on It's their, not randomness if it happens every week, is it? It's not a big statistical sample. So, yes, it could be. Well, it could well be randomness if it's three, four games. But what's your take? 
Are, are, have they looked worse to you in the last three, four weeks, or or no? Well, I think I think they've they've obviously slowed down. I mean, obviously, clearly, that you know they're not they're not winning by you know huge margins as they were during that you know very kind of freewheeling period where they were just playing absolutely incredible football and people were sort of you know asking is this the greatest football that we've ever seen in the Premier League? Clearly, there has been a little bit of a, a slowdown. Um, I mean, I I would actually kind of agree with Scurry. I was I was going to make a similar point that you know when you score as many late goals and and not just late goals, winning late goals as City have done this season, then I think you, it starts to look less like luck or belief and and more like you know um, uh, sort of uh, kind of a methodical way of of breaking down teams that sit very deep against them and, and are hard to break down. I mean, those are shots from outside the box and stuff like that. I know, yeah, which I wasn't mean, that, the case against West yeah, Ham. But. That, that would be... And also, I'm wearing my United hat, wearing my United victim hat now, my United victim double standard Pep Jose hat. Why is it that earlier in the season when United were winning 4-0 and like scoring three goals in the last three minutes, people, people were still grumbling about the fact that they weren't scoring earlier? But when City do it, all of a sudden, it's grit and resilience. Is this further evidence of the vast media conspiracy against yeah, Manchester Pe- United? Pep is God, isn't he? So it is, yeah. And Mourinho's a devil. Okay, just checking on that. People like you have built that bubble, haven't you? <laughs> okay, just, um, I want to ask about... We'll get to West Ham in a minute, but I want to ask about... This happened in midweek, but I just thought it was really bizarre. And and I spent the week at, at, um, at ESPN in Bristol, and I was talking to whole range of ex-pros were there like Craig Burley and, and Steve Nichol and I want to throw the question to you and I know you're not a manager but you have managed was it the Ipswich under 15s 14s mm-hmm. yeah okay let's imagine you're managing the Ipswich under 15s against say Norwich under 15s mm-hmm. and let's say Norwich are managed by Bob and at the end of the game they win with a late goal and you're defeated, and then Bob runs over to one of your players and gets in his face and says, hey, why don't you attack more? Why don't you attack more? And then the guy puts his hand over his face, and you don't quite know what's going on, and he's all over him, and he's putting his hands on him and stuff like that. Essentially what Pep did with Nathan Redmond. I know what I would do. I know what they told me. What would you do? Would you just sit from a distance passively and be like, oh, look, Bob's a much better manager than me. Let me just sit back here while he goes and he gets in my player's face and tells him what to do. What, as, what would you do player, as a manager? No, no, as a manager. As a manager. You're the manager. I'd be fuming if that happened. You would, yes? Yeah. You would go there and you would yeah. turn Bob into a little puddle of oil. Yeah. And I'm assuming that Pellegrino's not as mobile as he used to be, and that's why he didn't go and do that to Pep. Because I thought, I mean, that's what really surprised me, is just how incredibly... In- it's arrogant. Well, I, whatever it is. No, it's arrogant. If, if you're the manager, you don't come and talk to my player. I don't care... If you're giving him the freaking lottery numbers for next week, you do not go and you do not speak to my players. And as you know, my love for Pep, uh, massive respect. But I don't know if a screw came loose in his head. And when people do the point, oh, if that had been Mourinho, I hate to say it, but they're right. If that had been Mourinho, he'd be in one of those like like Silence of the Lambs outfits that they put Anthony Hopkins in at this at this stage. Are you surprised that that nobody... Nobody went and reacted from from the Southampton bench or technical staff when he was doing that? I think it just caught everyone unaware. I just don't think anybody really expected it. I'm sure Nathan Redmond would have thought, oh, did that really happen? 
That's <laughs> you know. So why why hasn't anyone really made anything of it since? Why haven't you guys made? I, I thought you'd have rubbed your hands. You haven't think right. Well, that's a weak stories on that. If Mourinho does that, he would get that big time, and rightly so. Um, I agree. Any, I'm I'm. What surprised me more isn't so much that Pep did it, because he's in Pepland. It's that nobody from Southampton. Um, went and, 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 and reacted and did anything. You just get the hell away from... Even in the post-match press conference, I think Pellegrino was asked about it and sort of declined to criticise Pep as far as... I, I think he sort of he sort of kind of just glossed over it rather than even sort of, you know, saying, yeah, I didn't, I didn't like that. You know, if I'd been Pellegrino, also given that... I think he's, he's the biggest manager in the Premier League physically, I, I would assume, right? Um, I would have gone and taken one of the little guys... Oh, you're going to do that to Redmond? Seriously, I, w- I would have gone. I would have taken, like, like David Silva, and I would have just lifted him up off the ground and got in his face and started shouting at him. And said, you need to cover more defensively. You need to do more than that. You need to get better. Be a bit, and just scream nonsense at him. Either that or go and, and just, just, just what, usher Pep away. Because what this business is, is it of Pep's? How Southampton play and how Nathan Redmond play? I don't know. Maybe the goodness of his heart. He liked Redmond. He didn't think Redmond was just... I like Redmond a lot too. Maybe he... I, I don't know. Maybe give him some encouraging words. I don't know. Maybe he wants to sign him. I don't know. But it was just such a... I think such, it's such impossible a, for him to sign him now, is it not? Who knows? Nothing's impossible if you're Pep. But I don't know. Like I said, I'm a I'm, I'm massive respect, massive fan of Pep. But this was just an odd moment. And were this a different manager... You wonder if people wouldn't start to talk about him cracking or or whatever because it was just such a such a bizarro thing to do. I think I think just as well like the I mean obviously I just think the optics of it were terrible. I mean like I don't mind um, opposition manager speaking to an opposing player at the end of a match, but you know if he kind of put his arm around him and said you know you were brilliant against us last season and here's how you can improve. I don't think that would have been so much as a problem, but the sort of kind of as you say, the in-his-face way in which he did it, sort of, you know, shouting at him, I think was just such I, a terrible look. I would have understood it more if he'd gone into his face and, you know, accused him of cheating or, or, or said something like that, you know. But but I don't know. It's We live in strange times. Um, and I got criticised for this because when, when Moyes was appointed, we had Paddy Barkley here, so it was a big Moyes loving. I'm a Moyes guy. I thought West Ham, all the stuff that we criticised them for... Lack of unity, players out on the lash, nobody cares. I thought they showed grit, they showed determination, they were up for it, uh, they defended well. Is, um, it, is it not an easy game to show grit in? Because if you don't, you're going to get embarrassed. I think West Ham have been embarrassed enough times. This this group of players have been embarrassed enough times this season. See, I've, I've done this, I've been to this scenario. Also, sorry, but what, when you said you'd be embarrassed, right? All right, so you go lose at Manchester City. I mean, every single team, bar one, that City have played this season have, have lost a City. Well, why would it be any more no, embarrassing for West Ham? No, you can be embarrassed six or seven and go in there if you, if you don't perform and you don't do... I, I've, I've been to this sort of situation before where you go to a top team and you go and play the the um, um, the Arsenal great teams, Manchester United great, and if you do not go there and you are fully focused for 90 minutes, and it's almost a little bit of a mini challenge, really, it's the games against the teams at the bottom gab that will be their test. Isn't, the mental strength. Well, isn't this a, a trait of this West Ham squad that predates Moyes, going back even to last season, that actually they've generally looked quite good in the sort of big games against good teams? Um, and, and yeah, as, as, as Scurry says, it's been the, it's been the games against you know, the mid-table teams or, or even the teams in the bottom half where they, they've struggled. 
I mean, generally, I think under under Bilic last season, they played quite well against the the top teams. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings, so you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar. Double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from ten to eleven. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. We have two fresh-faced new managers in the Premier League. Alan Pardew coming in at West Brom to replace Tony Pulis. And surprise, surprise, Sam Allardyce uh, in at Everton. More broadly, James, I know you went, you spent time at, uh, with Julian Nagelsmann, I think, uh, at Hoffenheim. I did a piece on this last week. One third of Bundesliga managers in the top flight are in their 30s, whereas Eddie Howe turned 40 last week, which means that there are zero top flight managers here in England who are in their 30s. Does that matter? Does that mean anything other than the fact that in Germany they all like to copy each other and like promote all these guys with university degrees who never played football 20 level and have no experience? I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously, it's a huge kind of cultural difference, isn't it? I mean, um, clearly young English managers or young British managers are, are young managers full stop really given what you're saying and not getting as much of a chance in the Premier League as they are in in the Bundesliga and I think as has been discussed a lot in recent weeks it's not necessarily foreign managers coming over who are blocking the path of young British managers it's this sort of group of middle-aged or, or even in some cases old British managers who keep cropping up again and again and being given jobs. I mean, I guess the one thing that you would probably say in defence of the clubs that keep appointing Sam Allardyce, for example, I mean, clearly the rationale for it is that Sam Allardyce has never been relegated in his managerial career. The stakes are so high that that's kind of a... It's hard to ignore that if you're a club that, you know, a kind of... Yeah, they say that, but then again, with parachute payments and with with contracts that automatically get downgraded if you're relegated. I mean, is is it perhaps more a case that if you're going to appoint a bright young manager, and it's going, you can start prepare for my next question, which is going to be, since, as you know, I don't follow the championship at all, and you're a lower league expert, I'd expect you to come up with a bunch of names that perhaps people should be looking at in the future. But um, that's in a minute. Is it perhaps the argument that if I'm going to appoint a young manager who does things differently and give somebody a chance in the championship, doing it in mid-season is really, really tricky, especially if my team's already struggling because he's not going to have time to work. He has to hit the ground running. Um, games, especially now, 
they're so frequent. It's not really the time to gamble. The time to gamble is probably probably in the summer, right? Yeah, I suppose that's true. But I, I think you could also argue, I mean, look at sometimes I think if you look at the example of someone like Marco Silva, he came in mid-season. And I think in some ways that arguably worked for him because it was <laughs> yeah, clearly it was a like, completely chaotic situation yeah. to come into. But I think because expectations were so low. and I, Yeah, but the team went down. The team no, went down. You're talking about being somebody disrespectful also... to James here. He made a very good fist of it, didn't he? No, of course, he, he, because he he's a very good manager. Would... But, but no, you're right. But Marco Silva is also somebody who'd already won major silverware in two different countries at a very young age. So there aren't too many people like that out there. I don't know. I think Allardyce is 18 months. I have no idea about Pardew. I have no problem with these guys coming in, but you give them six months. Yeah. And then at the end of the season... You say, all right, you kept us up. Nice one. Are you the person who we're going to build a progressive future with? No. And that's when I go down to the lower divisions and I hire, please give me three, four names of young British managers who you'd like to uh, see. At the moment, the Barnsley manager is getting a very good reputation. Oh, Heckenbot. is this Hecky? Yeah. Um, please, please, please give his full name. Paul? No, what's his last name? Heckenbottom. <laughs> I wanted you to say that. <laughs> yep. Gary Rowett has got a, a growing reputation. Um, I to, sorry, I wanted to ask about this. This is the guy who was at Birmingham, right? Yeah. And then he moved to Derby. And correct me if I'm wrong, my knowledge of terms is very limited. Don't Derby have a ton of money and a ton of resources? And, and they've failed every year. Yeah. Are, are they in the promotion spots? Yeah, in the playoff spots. In the playoff spots. Okay, just checking. Is that okay right. No, you? no, I'm sorry. So he might want to go up with Derby if they get promoted. Lee okay. Johnson, but Lee Johnson's only really got going this season this, is um, this the guy whose dad was Gary Johnson yeah maybe still is yeah Chris Wilder what, what what negative things have you got against Chris first of all the fact that Gary Johnson's your dad is not a negative thing okay no but what you are implifying is Chris, that Chris Wilder manages no I don't again I don't follow the lower divisions but if memory serves Lee Johnson was at Oxford for a bunch of years right in league two wrong is that, no wrong so all you English wrong. people look alike so guys that you would like to see given a chance, you Gary Rowett, Lee Johnson, Chris Wilder. Chris Wilder. Some other guy who... I think Gary Monk this season's not having a great season, but I still think he's he's done very well. I think the Brentford manager, Dean Smith, has done very, very well. Dean Smith? Dean Brentford. Smith. Have you seen them play? Yeah, they play some fantastic football. And then you should go into the league below, League oh. One. Have you, have you ever come across League One before? I'm not no. familiar with that, no. The bloke at Shrewsbury. Paul Hurst doing a very good job. Um, and all these guys are, are young. Carl Robinson at Charlton has turned Charlton around, doing very well. Some of the young coaches in Germany, I think a lot of them, and they're not necessarily drawn from lower divisions. Quite often they come from within the club. Mm-hmm. So like Nagelsmann would be an example. I'm pretty sure, I mean, I could be wrong, but I think... I know this. He managed a bunch of under-19 yeah, teams. Yeah, no, sorry, yeah, yeah. no, Nogglesman. That's right. Yeah. The guy at Schalke Tedesco, who's... That was no, going to be my other... Daniel yeah. Farker at Norwich came from uh, Dortmund Reserves, didn't he? I don't think Tedesco had had, like... I don't think he'd had a lower division job. I could be he wrong. He had... But. He was called up last season to manage some terrible side in the for, like, the last 10 games right, in okay. the German second division and weirdly kept them up. But you're right. I. It's It's a totally different pathway. I think... On a more serious note, I think the main difference is that in Germany, there's a strong director of football. There's, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a whole setup at the club. These dudes really just come in just to coach. 
That's all they do is coach the first team. Whereas I'm imagining your your friend Paul Hurst at, at Shrewsbury, for example, he probably hires the groundsmen, paints the stadium, uh, signs the players, does the contracts, drives the the team bus. No, I think. No, I think you're wrong. I think those days have, have gone now. I really? think a lot of clubs have very good infrastructures now. I know they, they don't have the German model, but, but, but they'll have somebody, they'll have a, a managing director that does all of that. But when Alan Pardew gets dropped in at West Brom, I'm assuming part of the reason he's there is that he said, all right, I want to play this type of football. These are Pulis's guys. I want these guys gone. I want to make these signings in January. I don't like this physio. I don't like that guy. I don't like your face. Let's bring this guy in. You know, they're, they're going to, certainly Big Sam as well, they're going to say, look, you know, I'm Big Sam. I created Bolton. I was the England manager. I'm going to come in and I'm going to tell you how to do things based on how I want to do them, right? And and the clubs are set up for that. And then, and the flip side of that is that once Big Sam leaves, there's a big gap and a big void which somebody else needs to fill. Isn't, is, isn't that the case as well? That, you know, whoever, if, if West Brom had appointed um, your pal, Mr. Cook, from League One, he would have come in and all of a sudden he would have had to deal with all these other West Brom type issues that, or, or am I wrong here? No, you're right, but it's the same at every club, even if you're... Well, no, not in Germany because they only deal with the first team and they, they don't have much input in the, certainly initially, they don't have much input in the contracts and in the and in transfers and in things like that. I don't think it's as it's like that, but I think certainly the the days of your illusion that the the lower league manager is cutting the grass and putting the kits out on a on a Friday afternoon is wrong. If you were the West Brom chief executive, it's Jeremy Peace, right? Would you have sacked Tony Pulis and appointed Alan Pardew? Just going. Yes and yes. Dear Brent, honestly, I, I don't think I would have taken a gamble at this stage it's so tricky I mean I, I don't think mid-season given that West Bromwich Albion's comfort honestly although I think it would kind of be an admirable move in many ways I don't think I would have taken a gamble on one of the promising managers that Scully identified from the lower leagues or someone like you know Graham Potter I, I think I would have preferred to make an appointment like that as you say but it's got to change, the, isn't it? The, during the, the, the managerial situation in the Premier League and the non-young English managers coming through, it's it's blocked. Yeah, you, you that that to has the, to change, Gab. Like, I mean, I think these sort of firemen-type managers, and in some ways, let's give a little bit of credit to Steve Parrish for once, your mate, and mine. No, no, your mate. He brought in Sam Allardyce, and then Allardyce left. And whether it was Allardyce deciding to leave or not, then you can go and take a gamble. Now, he made a stupid gamble on Frank DeBoer, but I think that's the idea. Mid-season, if you want to go for these guys, fine. But I think if you are going to go for something more ambitious, somebody needs, needs to bet in, and, and I'm sorry. I, I know you tell me everything's so organized in the lower division, it's all fantastic, but surely managing whoever Chris Wilder manages, one of the Sheffield sides, I believe, to managing Everton right now with the money and with the attitude, I think... Uh, and, and with the expectations around it, are two different things. And the least you can give Chris Wilder or anybody else is a full preseason to bet in rather than dropping him in. You're taking the risk out of it, aren't you? Going against what you're, you're, all, you're minimizing it a little. Going against what we've all said, did Nagelsmann not come in mid-season in a sort of, so, I think he did, on a sort of firefighting? He, did, yeah. he, wasn't, he wasn't expected to. I think it was, was it Hoof Stevens? So what, what you're saying is 
Burnley. If Burnley ever want to get rid of Sean Dyche and bring in a, a foreign manager and change the, the ethos, a, now's the time to do it. Well, yeah, it's one way to look at it. Right, how about some quick hits? Chelsea go a goal down and then storm back to beat Newcastle 3-1 as Eden Hazard steals a show. Scoey, I know how much you love to wax lyrical about guys who do not play for United. So please, go ahead and tell me whether you'd swap Anthony Martial for Eden Hazard along the way. No, I wouldn't. Um, but Eden Hazard is very, very good. Um, I think when he's on top of his game and everything's going right, he's as good as anybody apart from the big two in, in the world. Would you swap at Diddy Marcial for Eden Hazard? Yes or no, Gearbrett? I, I do really like Marcial. Oh, I think, but, but, no, I was going to say, I was going to say, I was going to say, but, yes, I probably okay, would. Thank you. Thank you. Saturday prevails. No Matip, no Gomez, Clava, no good, no problem. Klopp reinvents a back three with Vinaldum and Emery Chan alongside Lovren, and Liverpool romp to a 5-1 win at Brighton. Gearbrand, is this something we're going to see more of? Do you actually need two centre-backs when one and two semi-mobile midfielders will suffice? Generally, I probably would favour kind of a more settled back line at Liverpool, but I don't think Jürgen Klopp is going to, is going to do that. So it did work well. I, I think Chan... I like Chan, it anyway. Chan at least has played... He's played in a back four for me. He has sometimes played... At fullback for Germany, I think, didn't he? Played center back early in his career too at Bayern, yeah. Tottenham drew at Watford 1-1, but uh, Scoey, they've taken just two of a possible 12 points in their last four outings, and they're down to sixth place. They were even briefly in seventh place with your man Sean Deitch passing them. Um, what's the problem here? They've lost their spark, haven't they? I think they've believed in their hype a little bit after the Real Madrid performance, which was very, very good, and they were going to conquer the world, and Pochettino was going to do this, that, and the other. They're out of the title race, got no chance of getting anywhere near that now, and they've got a big fight on their hands to get to fourth. I just think they've uh, become a little bit too complacent. Swansea followed Stoke 2-1, and Paul Clement is under fire. But Gearbrandt, it looks as if they're going to keep faith with him. Correct decision? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know necessarily how long that will last, that, that vote of confidence, or whether anyone even wants the vote of confidence. Or whether we'll find out after we tape this video. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess this is kind of the this is kind of the counterexample to what we were saying. I mean, Swansea last season made some slightly out-of-the-box, slightly more bold managerial appointments, and obviously the Bob Bradley one didn't really work at all. Clement actually did a really good job at the end of last season and kept them up, and is now struggling a little bit I, I think I probably would give Clement a bit more time, but you know it's hard to you know it's hard to see how much more time he doesn't have a lot of leeway at the moment. I'd give him more time too, but Scoey's shaking his head. Mm-hmm. Bournemouth draw one-one with Southampton, but the big talking point is referee Jonathan Moss. So he books Adam Smith for diving after Sofiane Buffal's challenge, but then reportedly afterwards he goes to apologize, saying, "Oh, I got that one wrong. It wasn't a pen," but. Adam Smith's yellow card, it's not clear that it's going to be rescinded now. Um, Scoey, how would you feel in those circumstances? Would you be, feel happy that a referee admitted his mistake? He'd be very disappointed, but I think you'd, you'd give the referee some credit that he has held his hands up and made a mistake, and they are human. Surely common sense has to prevail, and it has to be wiped off, doesn't it, the yellow card? But is it not impossible to get yellow cards This is one I wish Scooter Moore had, like, you know, massive, like, mega generalissimo powers to go and just say, this is a stupid rule in this case. 
No, because it's dumb, right? You can punish somebody retrospectively for diving, but then you can't take a yellow card away when he hasn't dived. It's just not fair. should be fair. England get drawn into a World Cup group with Belgium, Tunisia, and Panama. Um, Gearbrandt, I bet you're delighted. I think this was pretty much as good a draw as England could have got. I think Panama and Tunisia are among the weakest, if not the weakest, sides in their respective pots. Belgium clearly are a very good team, but you know they're arguably not as good as some of the sides that were lurking in pot one. And I also think you could even throw it forward and say the last 16 match will be against a team from Group H, where I don't think, you know, clearly with respect to Poland and Colombia, who are very good sides, they're not going to be playing one of the real heavyweights, which they might have been in another scenario. In the quarterfinals, you're likely to face Germany or Brazil. Yeah, that's that's where it gets hard. (laughs) (laughs) Gab, one for you. PSG were one of four sides in Europe's big five leagues to go into the weekend undefeated. Now there are two. Tell us more. PSG played Strasbourg, and uh, in fact, there's an excellent column by me, actually, in uh, in the game today, talking about their game against Strasbourg. It's Strasbourg's newly promoted. Um, they actually went bankrupt was it like six years ago, around the same time that PSG were ta- being taken over. They made their way back. And it's like all the bad cliches about what happens when you get too complacent, too dominant came to play. Uh, they were they were pretty terrible. Um, they... Uh, they, they conceded a goal through bad defending, um, freezing conditions, the whole crowd against them. The danger is that PSG treat this like one long extended winter break until the um, until the, the Champions League round of 16 game, and, and that's dangerous. Now, they are playing Bayern Munich this week, but this is the rub. Talking about motivation. For them to not win their group, they would need to lose by more than three goals. That's the only way it's going to happen, and much as I love me some you Pinkus, they ain't going to win by four goals or more. So um, it's, it's, it's a more tricky situation for, uh, for Unai Emery. Hello there and welcome to the Sweepers recap of Game Week 15. I'm Charlie Scott and I'm joined by Paddy Bombay. Hello. And yeah, this weekend, Eden Hazard was at his best as Chelsea beat Newcastle 3-1, while Philippe Coutinho outshone Mohamed Salah, which he hasn't done very often this season, as Liverpool thrashed Brighton 5-1. Paddy came up with some lovely little tips in Friday's email, so I'll hand over to him to go through those. Well, we talked about the Allardyce effect um, in quite some detail and, and the way Big Sam arrives and sorts out defences, and specifically picked up on Jordan Pickford as someone you can get immediately. Thankfully, he he delivered immediately as well. Nine points as Everton kept their second clean sheet in a row. Um, we mentioned to Mason Holgate, who uh, is a strange little stat where Everton have uh, an oddly good defensive record this season when he's in the lineup. He started again, so that's back-to-back clean sheets at 4.2 million and someone to keep an eye on. In our uh, game-by-game tips, we were lucky enough to pick out Hazard just in time for his uh, his breakout game after he had been rested in midweek. And uh, another goal for Jordan Shakiri for Stoke. Um, who I think only has one game in his past six where he hasn't either scored or assisted. At about six million, he's starting to look like someone who could be uh, be very valuable in freeing up funds in that midfield. And just on Eden Hazard, two goals, three bonus points in that win against Newcastle. And that means that in four of his past six games, he's picked up all three bonus points. Despite that, he's only owned by 11.9% of fancy managers, which I can see changing very soon. Well, someone who is owned by quite a few managers, but that number may be diminishing is Harry Kane. A couple of frustrating weeks. We've just had the news through this morning that uh, Tottenham's game against West Ham from game week 21 has been pushed back to game week 22. 
giving Tottenham a, a, a tasty double game week on the horizon, which smells like triple captain territory if you can wait that long. Absolutely. Swansea and West Ham in the space of three days. But obviously we're looking ahead with that one. But the FA Cup third round draw is tonight and that game will be played the weekend after those two fixtures so interesting to see if Tottenham get a big team or a lower league team because if it's lower league then Kane will probably be rested for that anyway Super Sunday uh, coming up uh, this weekend and it is a super one uh, we've got um, the Manchester derby uh, and the Merseyside derby Manchester United uh, interestingly allowed 33 shots against Arsenal uh, yeah. on Ooh. Saturday uh, while Man City did their customary thing of scoring a late winner um, so we'd have to worry slightly about United defenders in that one but we would elaborate in much greater detail in Friday's email um, you can of course sign up at thetimes.co.uk forward slash fantasy football you will get the email on Friday uh, you can enter our competition which is up and running live at the moment to win a free time subscription and you can also join the mini league which has a new leader uh, thanks to Andre Bergstrom's 80 point haul this week uh, his team Berbashov are now into the top 500 in the world and sit atop of our mini league uh, so uh, he's the man to beat that's all from us this week we'll, we'll be with you again next weekend uh, keep an eye out on the website we'll have a full recap of game week 15 up at 5pm today right that's all we've got time for today many many thanks to my excellent guest today both named James what a coincidence but I bet you guys have different middle names Scully what's your middle name Benjamin and yours is Aloysius right <laughs> what is it Philip Philip is that with one L or two L's one L okay so not like Philip Lom. Now, let me remind you, it's just eight pounds for an eight-week trial. You get video highlights of every game in the Premier League, Champions League, Europa League, the FA Cup, the game daily. I think it's uh, it's a cracking deal. Now, alert, next game podcast will be on Thursday, a special bonus mini podcast featuring the one, the only, the franchise, Henry Winter. We're going to be looking ahead to the biggest game of the season thus far, the Manchester Derby. Till next time, bye-bye. The Game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone.